Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we gather here this morning as your church, those of us who are in Christ, we rejoice in that solid rock on which we stand. We know that the hope of our salvation is sure, not because we deserve it, because of our faith in Christ alone. And Heavenly Father, this morning it is through that hope that we cling. It is in that hope that we come boldly before you with these requests. That we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. Even this morning we think of Bev Tucker and what she is going through. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give her peace that passes understanding. Pray that you would heal her body as she continues to heal from COVID as well. We think of Pastor Craighead and of Joe and their ministries this morning as they preach the word of God. Pray that the word would go forth powerfully, that you'd be honored through their ministries. And Heavenly Father, we pray the same thing here. As we turn our attention to Hebrews 3 this morning, we pray that we would see the urgency of the call of the gospel that we would search our own hearts, that we would search one, that we would care for one another, and we'd point each other to Christ, that no one would leave this morning without knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior. We pray that you'd be honored in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Winston Churchill once, once famously said that those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it several examples of that truth from history. Perhaps one of the most famous comes from Winston Churchill's own time. It's probably one of the most famous examples of this is Hitler invading the Soviet Union. You may know the story, the, the Nazi invasion of the Soviet Union. It was meant to be quick. Just like they had taken Poland quickly, they were meant to go in and take the Soviet Union quickly to expand um, their territory. But the Red Army fought back. And what was meant to be a quick invasion slowly, or quickly, turned into a months-long invasion. They were slowed down. And what was supposed to be done before winter stretched into winter. The Nazis captured some key cities. They won some huge battles, but ultimately they failed to conquer the Soviet Union. And in the process, the whole tide of World War II was turned. Around 120 years earlier, Napoleon had tried something very similar. 120 years earlier, Napoleon and his army had met with a similar fate as they marched into Russia. Again, the idea was to expand his territory. He had the strongest army. He was marching into Russia, but it was such a large area that his army was stretched so thin that his casualties were high. Again, as his invasion stretched into winter, he met the same fate. And ultimately, his invasion of Russia resulted in defeat of his much stronger army. And it led to Napoleon's first uh, exile. You see, if Hitler would have learned from Napoleon's mistake 120 years earlier, who knows what the world would look like today. 
We're thankful that he didn't because it was that defeat that led ultimately to Nazi Germany's defeat. Had Hitler merely paid attention to history, had he learned from Napoleon's experience, who knows where we'd be today. As we looked at Hebrews 3, 1-6 last week, the author of Hebrews called us to consider who Jesus is. Consider Jesus. This week, as we turn our attention to Hebrews 3, 7 to 19, the author of Hebrews calls his readers not just to consider who Jesus is, but consider what faithfulness looks like in light of that. In light of the reality of who Jesus is, what does that mean for you? What does that look like? Calls us to faithfulness by pointing us back to learn from the failure of of the past, to see who Christ is, believe him, and cling to him. Cling to him. As we work our way through this, we'll see a lesson, a warning, and a reminder. First thing we see this morning is a lesson. In Hebrews 3, 7 to 11, a lesson. A passage here starts with the word, Therefore. As I mentioned, the first six verses of Hebrews 3, consider Jesus. Consider who he is. And and verse 6 ends with this. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm to the end. That's what he's moving forward with. Consider Jesus, and then hold fast that confidence and rejoicing in that hope, firm to the end. Consider who Jesus is and then cling to Jesus. Value Jesus. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, once again, we note that even though the the author of Hebrews is here quoting Psalm 95, he doesn't point us back to the human author. Once again, He's pointing to the divine inspiration of Scripture. He wants you to understand that this is something that God has said, and because God has said, you should listen. If it was David, maybe you could ignore it. If it was Abraham, maybe it's not that big a deal. But this is what God has said. The Holy Spirit says this. As I mentioned here, he's quoting Psalm 95, verses the end of verse 7 into verse 11. Psalm 95, verses 7b to 11. The context of Psalm 95, it's a call to worship. And yet partway through this call to worship, there's a recognition of who God is and a call to respond accordingly. Very similar to what we see here this morning in this passage. Look at this past generation that failed and don't make that mistake. Learn from their mistake. And so it starts with this, this word. Consider, or therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, today, if you will hear his voice. That word today there, it's a, it's a sense of urgency. While God's word is fresh on your mind, right now, take action. Today. Don't, don't put it off. We're good at that, are we not? We're good at putting things off. But don't put it off. 
Consider who Jesus is. And then today, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you will hear his voice, that is God's voice, the Holy Spirit's voice, as we see there in verse 7, really what this is, is it is Scripture. Anything that God has said, if you will pay attention to what God has said, recognize that it is God who has said it, and then value it as if it is God who has said it. Today, right now, Past week we celebrated Veterans Day. We know that there are many veterans in our midst. For those of us, or for those of us, I have not served, but for those of you who did serve, one thing that you know is that when a commanding officer speaks, you pay attention. You don't ignore him. You don't do it in your own time. When a commanding officer tells you what to do, you do it, and you do it with urgency, and you do it right away. That's the idea here today. God has spoken. Heed what he has said. Don't write it down to come back to later. Do it now. Do it now, today. If you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Here we see an example pointing back to the past, to this rebellion. Do not harden your hearts as they did in this rebellion. To harden your hearts is to resist God's word. It's rather than than to heed it, to listen, and to go and do it. It's to push up against it, to resist it. In fact, it's not just to resist it once, it's to resist it to the point that it no longer has any influence over you whatsoever. It's to push against it so hard to the point that ultimately you just don't care. It doesn't start that way, does it not? It doesn't start with an ultimate just denial of God or, or I don't care what God says. It doesn't start that way. It starts with a little decision to put it off. Not today. Not right now. And then it grows from there. And the more that you push against it, ultimately gets to the point where you just flat out say, I just don't care. And so today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. What's interesting is this rebellion that he's referring to is the rebellion of the children of Israel in the wilderness. In fact, you see that in the next verse, as in the rebellion, in the day, the trial in the wilderness. If you remember in verses 1 to 6, who is it that he puts forth as an example of faithfulness? It's Moses, is it not? It's Moses, and then the better example of Jesus Christ, but but there's Moses who was commended for his faithfulness. And yet here, it's the people who served under Moses who are put forth as an example of unfaithfulness as well. There's almost a contrast here. It's the same command to both of them. Because they lived at the same time. It is Moses and those who followed Moses. God gave a command. One followed it and was faithful, and one didn't. Do not harden your hearts as they did. 
He goes on to explain this wilderness rebellion. Again, he's, he's quoting pretty much Psalm 95, 7b to 11 here. Um, but where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works for 40 years. They tested me and they tried me. They didn't listen. They didn't heed it today. They put it off. They tested me. They tried me. They didn't trust me. They questioned and challenged. It's like a child. A lot of times we, we, with our kids, we'll be walking through a parking lot. And I always try to, when we get to the edge of a road, I always try to get our kids to say, all right, stop. Now look both ways. All right, and you're walking through a parking lot. And yet, if you've ever had kids trying to get them through a parking lot or across the street, you know, they, they get distracted, do they not? They should be focused on getting across that street, and yet they'll be walking across and they'll notice that their shoe is untied. So they'll throw a fit and they'll sit down in the middle of the street. You're in the middle of the street. You're in a parking lot. Don't, don't test me and try me here. Let's get across the parking lot. Then we can deal with it. There's a stubbornness, a foolishness to that, is there not? That's kind of the idea here. They tested me and they tried me. They, they pushed up against me at every, everything I said. In fact, they saw my works for 40 years. That's a shocking reality. They were led by a cloud by day and fire by night. They saw what God did in Egypt. They saw the Red Sea split. They were at Mount Sinai with the quakings and the thunderings. They saw these things. They experienced these things. And yet they never learned to trust. And so they never learned to obey. Therefore, because they did harden their hearts, because they did test and try me, therefore I was angry with that generation, God says. I was angry with them. And said, they always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. They always go astray in their hearts. Their actions revealed their heart. They went astray in their hearts, and that revealed the fact that they have not known my ways. They didn't obey me because they didn't know me. You see, herein lies the problem of this passage. It's not that they disobeyed. It's not that they were sinful. It's not just that they rebelled. It's that they never knew God to begin with. They never believed him to begin with. So I swore in my wrath. So because they never knew me, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. In this passage, that rest there is the fulfillment of God's promises. Rest in general is fulfillment of all of God's promises. In this passage, it's specifically God's promises to lead them into Canaan, to give them that land that they can rest. Joshua talks about that. More ultimately, as we will see in this passage, it's the fulfillment of all of God's promises in salvation that we will see. 
as we work our way through this. But note here, what the author of Hebrews using Psalm 95 is trying to get us to see is that because they never knew or trusted God, they did not see God's promises fulfilled. It was not that God failed them to lead them, to lead them into the land. It was that they failed to believe and to follow. It is their failure, not God's. God is still faithful. So the author of Hebrews starts with this example. Look at their failure. And do not delay obedience to God's word. I think so often we view God's word as, as, as a suggestion. That would be a good thing to do. And we fail to recognize that God's word is not just a suggestion. It is the perfect, it is the powerful, it is the word of God. It is living and it is powerful. And to resist God's word is to rebel against God. It is to boldly proclaim, I know better. And so today, if you hear his voice, respond. We're hoping as a family to be able to make a quick trip down to South Carolina next month to visit my family. Uh, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. The last time we made this trip by car, the twins uh, had just been potty trained. Uh, and so as you can imagine, when you're making a 17-hour trip with freshly trained, potty trained kids, right, when they say, Dad, I think I have to go to the bathroom, you stop immediately. You don't try to get them to make it another three exits, right? Or, or you know, we're, we're an hour from Lexington, just hold on. No, you stop right then, right? You stop at that next exit. Finding a bathroom in that moment becomes urgent because the cost of putting it off would be disastrous. It's a silly illustration, but I think it illustrates the urgency, right? That's something that we get. Yes, in that moment... The most urgent thing is to find a bathroom. And the author of Hebrews here calls his readers to a similar urgency. This is not something to try to put off one more or two more exits. This is not something to, to be hesitant toward. It is the Holy Spirit who calls you to learn from the apathy of the past and show urgency to the word of God today. Because the result of putting it off could be disastrous. So hear his voice today. If there is sin in your heart this morning, confess your sin this morning. Fathers, stand up and lead your family today. Go out and share the gospel and make disciples today. Today, if you will heed his voice. Do not harden your hearts. Learn from the past, a lesson from the past. Secondly, a warning for the present. A warning. So look at their failure. Now, beware, brethren. Beware. In the ESV, it starts with the word take care. The idea is pay attention. Look at their lack of urgency. And then you take care to be urgent, as we'll see. 
That ties back to even chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2, the first four verses, where he says, give the more earnest heed to what we have heard, brothers. Give the more earnest heed to this. Take care. Pay attention. Beware. Search your heart, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. there is any seed of unbelief, as there is any evidence of unbelief, take care of it right now. It's the same urgency that Paul uses in Philippians 2.12 when he urges his readers to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Peter Stresses in 2 Peter 1.10, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Salvation is not something to put off for tomorrow. It is not something to take lightly. But urgently search your heart. Be honest with yourself. Is there any evidence in my heart that I might not believe? Is there any evidence that that I am starting to fall away? And if I am starting to fall away, maybe I've never believed to begin with. Maybe I need to search my heart. Be honest with myself. It doesn't matter what my parents believe. This is my choice. Do I believe this? Have I accepted this? Is this my salvation? Don't be like this generation from the past who were impressed by God's works. They saw him do some great things and they were willing to follow him. But they followed kicking and screaming because they never really believed him. In fact, notice verse 13. It doesn't start with, brethren, be be honest with yourselves, search your own heart, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. There we see that word again, today. That word that, that references urgency. Exhort one another daily while it is called today. Watch out for one another. Search your own heart and then watch out for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Lest any of you be hardened through deceitfulness of sin. Lest anyone fall away. Watch out for one another. My senior year of high school, we took a trip, uh, kind of a, it was a combination senior trip slash um, mission trip type thing. We went to a little church up in uh, New York City and helped them to put on kind of a VBS type thing. And so during the, the night, we'd do this VBS, and during the day, we'd go and we'd tour the city. And as you can imagine, uh, when you've got 40 or 50 seniors, you know, high school seniors walking around New York City, you know, as a, as a leader of that group, that would be kind of stressful, would it not? You know, the teacher, you're responsible for 50 teens to keep them in New York City. And so the, the strategy that they took is they would split us into groups of three or four. And each one of those groups was responsible for each other. You watch out for her and you watch out for him and you guys watch out for him. All of you watch out for each other. 
So now you don't have to worry about one person accidentally wandering off because there's two other people who are trying to follow the group and who are keeping their eye on him as well. So if he starts to wander, they grab him and pull him back in. We're going this way. That's the idea. Watch out for one another. The Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation. The author of Hebrews here calls his, his readers not just to guard their own hearts, but watch out for your brothers and sisters in Christ as well. Be honest with yourself and be honest with one another. This involves not just encouraging one another to keep growing in the Lord. Right? We, we like doing that. That's easy to do. I'm encouraged by you, brother. Keep growing. I've seen the Lord do some awesome stuff in you, and it has been so encouraging to me. That's easy, is it not? What about the harder stuff? What about exhorting one another and confronting one another? Brother, I've noticed this in your life. And maybe I'm wrong. But I care about you. And this is what this looks like. Is this true? Is this going on? How can I pray for you? Let me walk through this with you. Those are things we don't necessarily like to do, do we? And yet, if you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, you will confront them. You will exhort them with the truth, and you will call them back to Christ. It's not just the big things. I think we recognize in the big things in life, if someone's going astray, hopefully we'll grab them. But it's the little things. Because before it gets to the big things, it starts with a lot of little things. Hey, I've noticed you haven't been, you know, in church the last two weeks. There's something going on. That could be a sign of something much bigger. And if you care about your brother and sister in Christ, you will reach out to them early. Don't wait till it becomes a big thing. Grab them early. I've noticed just a little frustration in your attitude. Is there something going on? Can I pray with you? Can we work through this together? And at the same time, as I would exhort you to do that to one another, I would exhort you to accept that lovingly and understandingly. Maybe there is nothing. Maybe you just had a rough day. That's fine. It doesn't mean you can't pray with your brother in Christ and be like, you know what? I'm sorry. I've had a rough day. It's not, it's not any big thing, ongoing thing that's going on in my life. It's just I've had a rough day today. Thank you, for, thank you for reaching. Thank you for showing concern for me. Yes, let's pray together. That's not a sign of someone who's judging you and tearing you down. That's a sign of someone who is watching out for you. Someone who loves you and cares for you. That's what you see in this passage. And notice the urgency. Do it daily. Daily. Each and every day. Day in and day out. While it is called today. Urgently watch out for one another. Why? Verse 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Here he returns to the idea in verse 6. The idea that kind of undergirds this entire passage. If we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end, verse 6 says, here in verse 14, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. We must be steadfast. 
don't take any chance of wondering. If you see your brother or your sister start to wonder, grab them and pull them back. If you yourself start to wonder, jump back in line. Recognize it yourself. You see this illustration that he uses in this passage of this wilderness generation? They started out really strong, did they not? They were in Egypt. They slaughtered the lamb and they painted their doorposts. They obeyed God. They walked out of Egypt free and rich. They got to the edge of the Red Sea and they crossed on dry land and they watched Egypt's army destroyed. And they sang a song and worshiped God on the other side. Surely, if any generation is going to make it, it's going to be this generation, right? Look at what they've seen. Look at what they've experienced. Look at what they've done. They were bold enough to follow Moses out of Egypt. That's not a small step. And yet it is that generation that walked out of Egypt that failed to walk into the land because they failed to keep trusting God because they never really knew him or trusted him to begin with. It's not about how you start, it's how you finish. Stay faithful. Fight for faithfulness. Cling to Christ above all else. Something that, like something that is valuable, that you will not let out of your grasp, something you will not let out of your sight, cling to him at all costs. So we've seen a lesson from the past, a warning for the present. Finally, a reminder. He returns back to this idea of this generation. While it is said... Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He returns to that beginning from 7b. In the first section, verses 7 to 14, the focus is more on that today. It's on the urgency of the call. Do it today. Recognize this urgency. But here, in verses 15 to 19, he returns to this phrase, today if you'll hear his voice, but he focuses more on the unbelief the cost and the cause of disobedience and unbelief. And he does this through a series of questions. Verse 16, For who, having heard, rebelled? Who was it that rebelled? It was that generation, was it not? In fact, they heard. Right? Who, having heard, this rebellion was not a result of ignorance. They heard what God said. They saw what God said. Yet they chose to rebel. They chose to rebel. In fact, he goes on to answer, indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt? They came out. They saw the ten plagues. They walked out of Egypt rich and free. They crossed the Red Sea. They watched Pharaoh and his army be destroyed. They walked across the desert. They saw the manna that God provided in the quail. They worshipped at Sinai. They came out of Egypt led by Moses. 
So they saw, they heard, and yet they rebelled. So with whom was he, was God angry for 40 years? Was it with someone who was innocent? Was God just one day decided, I'm going to be angry? No. Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? They sinned. They were guilty. Here he's highlighting their guilt and God's just wrath. God is just in this. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey. They rebelled, they sinned, they did not obey. Why is he pointing all this out? Because verse 19, he wants you to understand this. So that we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Because of unbelief. This is the shocking reality of this passage. That this generation that walked out of Egypt, that saw God do all this awesome stuff, they saw and they were impressed, but they failed to believe. They failed to believe. That's a shocking reality when you pause to think about that. How could they not believe? He wants you to see here that the heart of their rebellion was unbelief. God did not, and God never will, fail to fulfill his promises. It was not God who failed to deliver his people into the land that he promised. It was the people who failed to believe and to follow. Brothers and sisters, the lesson for us is this. If you fail to obtain salvation, if you fail to believe, it is not because God has let you down. It is because you failed to believe. Just as they saw God do awesome things in Egypt, and they walked out of Egypt, and they walked across the Red Sea, they were impressed by God. You can be impressed by God enough to come to church every day, every time the doors are open for the entirety of your life, You can be impressed by God enough to give an offering. You can be impressed by God enough to teach a Sunday school class. And yet you could still go to hell because you failed to believe. You failed to recognize that it is your sin. It is your sin that condemns. And that Jesus died on the cross for you, that he took your place. See, the author of Hebrew here sandwiches his call for his readers to beware and to exhort one another with stories and questions highlighting the symptoms and the cost of unbelief. Because he wants you to search your heart, he wants you to be honest with yourself. We all know the story of the Titanic well. The Titanic was the ship that God himself couldn't sink. And yet, sadly and ironically, it was sunk on its maiden voyage. We know the story. It was going across the North Atlantic, and it hit an iceberg. And it sunk quickly. 
Many lives went down with it. And yet perhaps the saddest part of the story of the sinking of the Titanic is the fact that it did not have to be so. You see, multiple warnings about ice fields in the North Atlantic went out. Multiple warnings were received by the Titanic and her crew, and yet all of those warnings were ignored. Every single one. They thought, well, those warnings are for other ships. We're the Titanic. We can't be sunk. Those warnings are for other ships. We're fine. Those those warnings surely aren't for us, the mighty Titanic. It's that mindset that put the Titanic at the bottom of the Atlantic. I think we tend to live that same way, do we not? Well, that's for others. That's for that guy who sits over there. I've, I've seen his life. He really needs to pay attention to this passage. Brother, you need to pay attention to this passage. These warnings are not for other Christians. They're not for younger Christians. Brothers and sisters, these warnings are for you. Do not overlook or undervalue Jesus Christ and this great salvation. Search your heart, lest there be in you, lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief. Search your heart and then watch out for your brothers and sisters. Be honest with one another. So as we close, Hebrews 3, 7 to 19, the big idea, cling to Jesus. Cling to him above everything else. Last week we saw, consider him. This week, cling to him. Cling to him. And make sure everyone else is clinging to him too. So number one, guard your heart. Guard your heart. You might say, well, practically, what does that look like? You know, you're saying guard your heart, search yourself, be honest with yourself. What does that look like? Number one, be faithful in the little things. Be faithful in the little things, day in and day out. How can you heed his voice today if you will not come to church and hear his voice today? How can you heed his voice today if you will not get your Bible out and read your Bible today? Guard your heart by being faithful in the little things. Read your Bible. Come to church. Pray. Not because they make God happy with you. Read your Bible and come to church because you need to hear the truth. The transforming word of God. You need it to be at work in you. Guard your own heart by confessing your sin. Let no little rebellion take root. We mentioned earlier that these, this rebellion did not start with just a, they woke up one day and said, you know what, we're not going to follow God. It starts with little things. So guard your heart today. Confess sin today. Let nothing take root. And secondly, watch out for one another. Even the best of us, even the best of us needs correction. So give and receive admonition with humility and love. When someone comes to correct you, 
Don't judge their heart. Judge your heart. When someone comes to correct you, don't think, who are you? You know, you're 30. I'm 75. I've been doing this a lot longer than you. Who are you? Search your own heart. Be honest with yourself. Have a tender heart. Cling to Christ to the end. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end.